Good morning, Blunstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Uh, we are so good to have you. And uh, today we're doing kind of a special day because we're featuring Gerald Fadiomi as our guest speaker today. And uh, anytime you see the voices clip running before talk, you know um, we hear so many voices in our world every day. So every once in a while, we like just to bring in another outside voice that kind of can bring another perspective to life. And so Gerald's gonna do that. But before Gerald comes and speaks to us, I just wanna remind us of something else. First of all, thank you as a church for all of you who participated last Sunday in our four giving, uh, the $4 for others giving um, gift that you did. It was absolutely amazing. I can't wait to tell you about it next Sunday. Just a thought. So you want to come back next Sunday to hear all about that. Um, but the other thing is, one of the things that really makes us as a church be good for the people in our community is when we are for each other. And one of the best ways that you can be for each other is to be part of a small group. And so when you came in today, uh, inside your worship guide, there was a brochure that had a QR code that you can go on and you can uh, check out what different small groups are available and find if there's one for you. And here's the thing. One of the things that I've said to several people over this past um, uh, small group sign-up season, because this is the last Sunday to sign up for small groups, is oftentimes you won't find the group that you're looking for, but it will begin a conversation of helping create a group that you're looking for. And so we've done that multiple times in multiple ways on different other campuses. So if there's a, not a group that you're looking for, make sure you stop by the groups table on your campus or the gallery on your campus and have a conversation saying, hey, here's what I need in this season of my life. And let's see how that we can help you in this process. Process because really this is a conversation starter in the sense of if you don't find a group, let us help you find that for this season of your life. Now, I'm really excited for you to hear Gerald. So Gerald, if you will come onto the stage. Everybody, all of our campuses, welcome Gerald Fadiomi as he comes to the stage. Love you, buddy. Morning, Rivertown. How y'all feel this morning? Y'all can do way better than that. Let's try that again. So good morning, Rivertown. How y'all feel this morning? Amazing, amazing, amazing. It's good to be with you. Uh, in a lot of ways, this feels like a second home to me. As Paul mentioned earlier, um, some of y'all didn't know you had a crazy black uncle in Atlanta, but you do. Um, and so it's good to be back home. It feels like home for me here for a couple of reasons. Um, one uh, is because I'm a Florida Gator fan. And so anytime I'm in Florida, I feel closer. Come on, baby. Where are my Gators at in the room this morning? That's awesome. I know where all my Christians are today. That's so good. That's so good. Any Florida State fans in the room? Okay. okay. You don't really have a lot to cheer about, but if you'd raise your hand high, just let us know so we can pray for you. We know where you're at. All right, cool. 
Amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, so it feels like home because I'm in the state uh, of the university that I love so much, but it also feels like home for me um, because you guys have been such a huge part of my story over the last couple of years. About two years ago, my wife and I decided in the middle of COVID that we we're going to plant a brand new church in Atlanta, Georgia, in Roswell to be specific. Um, and many of you gave and helped support that. We launched January of this year. Uh, we've seen on average about 250 people showing up every week in the first eight months, which has been amazing. Uh, we've baptized, yeah, it's awesome. We've already baptized two people. We have two more scheduled to get baptized this year and praying for even more than that. We've seen people give their life to Jesus and we've been able to be for our community as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your investment in the not only myself, but into our church. Uh, and you are a part of a family in Atlanta. So if you ever find yourself in the Atlanta area, please come visit Home Church. We'd love to have you. All right, we got a lot to cover and not a lot of time. They told me I had 30 minutes and I've already used four of those, which is not good for y'all. So um, let's pray and we'll jump straight in. Father, we love you. We need you. Um, we can't do this without you. And so I pray now that as we open your word, that you would speak to us and you transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. The last time I was here, I said amen. At the end of the second service, I ran through the back doors into my car, drove about 75 to 80 miles an hour on back roads to get to the uh, PCB airport, flew back home, met my wife at the hospital because I thought she was going into labor. Uh, fortunately, she did not give birth to our third. Then it was about a week later that she was born. But since the last time I was here, I've added one to my family. So being a good dad, I thought I'd show a picture. Uh, this is our fam right here. This is actually us celebrating our middle, our third child, Trinity. She's in the middle, uh, her first birthday. So that's my wife on the far left, our twins on the kind of bookends, Wesley and Zoe and Trinity in the middle. And I love my family. I love getting to be a dad. Yeah, thanks. Um, I love getting to be a dad. I love getting to hang out with them. I love getting to watch them grow up. And over the last couple of years, I've gotten to do that more than I would have normally. 2019, I traveled. I spoke 72 different times all across the country and a couple of places internationally. I was gone on the road more than I was at home. And then 2020 happened and it caused me to be home a lot more, which was awesome. Our girls were born, so I got to be around to watch them take their first steps, watch them grow up, got to be involved in some of these formative early years of their life, which has been amazing. We've spent a lot of time together as a family which has been great, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> right? Because you know, when you're around people that you love too much, there's those moments where you know, you just kinda wanna drop kick each other in the throat, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like I love my kids, they're amazing. Wesley, if you throw one more ta tantrum, I'm gonna punt you to the neighbor's house, right? Like I'm not kidding, you know? And so there's these moments where you're like, oh, like you just, I love you, but you drive me nuts. And um, I realized that while I have those moments with my wife and my kids, they also have those moments with me. Uh, and there's one thing in particular that I've realized over the last couple of years that I do that drives my wife up the wall. We'll be hanging out, watching a movie after the girls go down or it's nap time and we're sitting on the couch and we're having a good time just chilling. And after a little bit, I get like a little antsy and I'll get up and I'll start moving around, you know, and eventually I will work my way into the kitchen. Now, some of the fellows in the room, you can relate to this. I think it's ingrained in our DNA to do this. I walk into the kitchen, I'll open up the fridge, I'll look in the fridge, I'll close the fridge, I'll go to the pantry, I'll open the pantry, I'll close the pantry, I then go back to the fridge as if there's something new in it now, open it up, look again, and I can feel my wife's blood like boiling from the other room. And as I'm doing this for about three to five minutes, she will scream out from the other room like, babe, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I don't know, something awesome because you keep putting all this gluten-free crap in my house so I can't find anything <laughs> good, you know? 
She's like, what are you looking for? What is it that you're looking for? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, but I know that I'm unsatisfied and that I'm looking for something. What are you looking for? That's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning because the reality for each and every one of us is that we are all looking for something, isn't it? That for some of us in the room this morning, you're looking for hope and you've turned on the news or you've looked to Facebook and you just feel like our world has gotten more and more hopeless as every day has gone by. For some of you, you're looking for belonging. Maybe you just moved to the area or or maybe you had a close group of friends and then over COVID you stopped hanging out as much and now you're trying to figure out where your people are and you're looking for a place to belong, a place to be accepted. It's a great reason for you to get in a group, by the way, shameless plug there. For some of you, you're looking for peace because there's been so much drama in your family. There's so much tension between you and your spouse and you can't seem to figure out how to experience peace in this season. For some of you, you're looking for joy because over the last couple of years, it seems like you used to be this happy person, but the last two years have sucked all of the joy out of you. Had a friend say to me the other day that it feels like the world is gray with pops of color rather than a world full of color with moments of gray. He's just more depressed and anxious than he's ever been. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves in that spot where we're looking for joy. For some of us in the room, it's acceptance that we're looking for. We're looking to be approved of, to be validated of who we are. For some of you, you're in the room and you're looking for a spiritual connection. Maybe that's the reason that you're here this morning because you've tried everything. You've tried meditation. You've tried other religions. You've tried all of the different things and you can't seem to find that connection to God that you're looking for, or maybe for some of you, you're in the room this morning and you feel exactly how I felt on the couch that day, where you know that there's something missing, there's something stirring up in you, there's an area that you feel unsatisfied and you're not exactly sure what you're looking for, but you know you're looking for something. See here, I don't know what the thing is for each of you in the room because I don't know each of you individually, but here's what I know is true, is that all of us are looking for something, it's part of the human condition that we are constantly looking for things to satisfy the void that we all feel. And so since that's true for you, and since at times it's been true for me, the concern that I have for all of us and this concern I see played out, especially in the next generation, but all over our our culture is simply this, that because we're all looking for something, we tend to find ourselves looking for all the right things in all the wrong places, that we're looking for all of the right things, but we are looking for them in all of the wrong places. And what I've just seen to be true in my short 33 years on this earth is this, is that when you look for the right thing in the wrong place, you just end up finding worse things, that you find more shame, you find disappointment, you find regret, you find depression, you find anxiety, you find yourself in places that you ought not be doing things you knew you ought not do that when you look for the right thing in the wrong place, what it ultimately leads, to, ultimately leads to is that feeling that we're talking about, that feeling of being unsatisfied. Let me say it simply, that the right desire plus the wrong place will always lead you to an unsatisfied life. And for some of you in the room, that is the ache that you feel internally that you cannot get rid of. You've built a successful business and you still feel unsatisfied. You've tried relationship after relationship and you still feel unsatisfied. 
You have money in your bank account, yet you still feel unsatisfied. You have the right desires, but you've been looking in the wrong places, and it's led you to this unsatisfied life. The good news for us is that we're not the first people to be there. We won't be the last people to be there. And the scripture has an answer to this exact problem that we're facing, as it always does. This morning, we're going to be looking at the story of a woman who knows exactly what it feels like to look for all of the right things in all of the wrong places and to feel this feeling of an unsatisfied life. This morning, we're going to be looking at the story of a woman who knows exactly how you and I feel, but she has an encounter with Jesus that radically changes her life. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 29. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. It's a lot of text. I'm going to read through it really quickly, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. Now, I should note, at our church, at Home Church, every week, I start with a commitment from our audience. I say, hey, are you guys alive? And they say, yes. And I say, great, then you should look alive. So if God God speaks to you in some way, you should let me know that he's speaking to you. You can say amen. You can say that's good. If you don't know what to say, you can just Christian moo at me. You can go, mmm, come on. But if you're alive, you should look alive because after sermons, us pastors, we walk out of the room and we're like, well, they hated that one. And then y'all walk up to us and you're like, oh, that was so good. Like God really spoke to me. I'm like, yeah, well, you got a really funny way of showing it. So um, if you're alive, look alive. Let's jump into the text and let's see what God wants to say to us. John chapter four, verses one through 29. A lot of scripture, but it'll be good. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Next slide. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. If you have a Bible with you, you should underline verse four, circle that word had. This is gonna be important for later. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. You should also underline that phrase, it was about noon. That'll be important later as well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, verse 10, underline this. If you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have instead asked him and he would have given you a living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, well, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, okay, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you are quite right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Duh. (laughs) Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship, uh, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, side note, men in the room, only Jesus can get away with that. Okay, don't try that at home. It's not going to go well for you. Woman, Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. May we be those type of worshipers, for God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus responds and says this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's a lot of text to unpack and not a lot of time, but let's jump back to the beginning and see if we can get all the way through this. We start with John the Baptist. He's been baptizing people in the Jordan River, calling them to repent of their sins. As he's baptizing people, he would often say, hey, there's a guy who's coming who's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. I baptize with water, but this guy's gonna come along and he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's the Messiah, he's the savior of the world. Jesus eventually shows up on the scene and John sees him standing in the distance and he yells out to the guys, that's him. Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And it's at this moment that some of John's disciples go to follow Jesus and they become some of Jesus's disciples and now Jesus has a band of guys who are starting to walk with him. John the Baptist moves further north to continue his ministry of baptism and calling people to repent of their sins. And Jesus, with his new disciples, takes over the ministry in the southern region near the Jordan River in Judea. He's preaching and teaching, and now more people are coming than came when John the Baptist came. And for the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, this is a massive problem. John the Baptist was already a big deal, but this Jesus character seemed to be an even bigger deal, and they don't know what to do about it. They're frustrated. The rumors start circulating that Jesus is baptizing, even though it was really his disciples baptizing on his behalf. But because of all the chaos that's ensuing, Jesus makes the decision that he's going to leave this southern region and he's going to go north to the Sea of Galilee. That's the first three verses. And then we bump into verse 4. And verse 4 should cause us to pause because it has this interesting word in the middle of the verse. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. That word had should cause you to pause because we're talking about Jesus. And when we're talking about Jesus, who are we talking about? God. God. So when the scripture tells us that God has to do anything, it should make us go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If Jesus is the creator of the world, if he really is God and Abad, then why is it that he would have to do anything? Jesus shouldn't do anything that he doesn't want to do. So what do you mean had? So it should cause us to pause for that reason. But the bigger reason that it should cause us to pause is understanding the cultural context of what's happening in that day. I brought a map to help explain this. So Jesus is here in Jerusalem and Judea in the southern part, and he's headed north to the Sea of Galilee, which is here. And now you see there's two different routes that you could go to to get from Jerusalem to Judea or to uh, Galilee. The outside route is the route that most Jewish people would have taken because they, remember, hated Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans because Samaritans were these half-Jewish, half-Gentile people. They'd water down the Jewish uh, religion. They'd water down the Jewish race. They'd water down all of Judaism, and Jewish people did not like Samaritans. So in order to avoid a Samaritan, they would go all the way around the Jordan River, back over the Jordan River, adding days onto their journey in order to never come in contact with the Samaritan. They hated Samaritans so bad, some scholars say that Jewish men would wake up in the morning and they would say, God, thank you today that I was not born a Samaritan. This is how badly they hated each other. So they would take this outside route to avoid uh, a Samaritan by any cost. But Jesus takes a different route. 
He takes the route right down the middle. Now, from an American context, without knowing the history or the culture, we would look at that and we would go, yeah, that makes sense, because the fastest route from point A to point B is what? A straight line. So we go, yeah, that's kind of obvious, but knowing the, the cultural context, we know that Jesus would have never done that. Jesus should have gone around, but instead he goes straight through the middle. So the question then is why? Why is it that Jesus would have to do it? And it brings us back to that word had. In the original language, that word had actually better translates, it was necessary. So the reason that Jesus takes an unconventional route is because it was necessary for him to go a specific way. Why? Because there was a woman that he was going to meet at a well. There was a conversation that he knew he needed to have with this woman, and this conversation with this woman would not only lead to her salvation, but it would lead to the salvation of her entire community. This was an important meeting that Jesus was not going to miss. Now hear me, this is important for you and me. The reason this is such a big deal is because culturally this was unacceptable, Religiously, that was unacceptable. Her reputation would have been impossible for a rabbi to talk to her, and her race and gender made it impossible for this conversation to ever happen. All of these barriers would have stood in the way of Jesus meeting with this woman, yet Jesus chose to meet with her anyway. So what does that have to do with you and me? It has to do with this. For some of you, you walked into the room and you're like, I know my past, I know my reputation, I know the things that I've done, I know where I was at Saturday night, I know what I was watching last night after the football game went on. Like, I know who I am, and I know that there is no way that God could ever love or want anything to do with me, and I just need you to hear before we go any further in the text, Jesus will not let any barrier that you try to put in the way keep him from getting to you. He will not. He didn't for this woman, and he will not for you. Hear me, God wants to meet with you. God wants to meet with you. And you're not sitting in this room by coincidence. You're not sitting in this room by circumstance. You're sitting in this room because of the providence of God that before the foundations of the world, God saw and knew that you would be sitting in this room because he wanted to meet with you. He wanted to love you, comfort you, challenge you, correct you, and grow you to look more like him. God loves you and he wants to meet with you today. And that is really, really, really good news, y'all. But not only is it good news, it's also intimidating. Because anytime that I've met with God, I've been challenged to change. And that's exactly what's about to happen for this woman. Jesus sits down by the well and he begins a conversation with this woman. And he goes, hey, could you give me a drink? And she's like, um, I don't know if you know this, you're, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Like, we shouldn't be having a conversation at all. And Jesus is like, if only you knew who you were talking to. If you knew who you were talking to, you would have actually asked me for a drink and I would have given you this living water. And she's like, living water? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, bro, you don't even have a bucket. Like, how are you going to get water? Most scholars said the well was deep. It was about 100 feet deep. And so there's no way that Jesus would be able to get this water. So she's confused. She's like, you don't have a bucket. And on top of that, who do you think you are? You think you're better than our father Jacob who gave us this well to drink from? Like, who do you think you are? And Jesus goes, you know, if you drink from this well, you'll get thirsty again. But if you would come to me, I could give you a water that would satisfy your soul. She still thinks he's talking about water. She's confused, but she's like, you know what? If you have that kind of water, hook me up. Like, if you have a water that means I'm never going to have to come to this well with these buckets again, like, let me get some of that, right? Now, you got to understand, this is a loaded statement that she's making. It's partially about if there's a water that will, I'll never get thirsty again, like, give me that. But the deeper understanding here is looking at that, that part of the scripture that says it was about noon, 
Now, reading through this story would be easy to skip over that, just giving us the time of day, but that time of day is actually important. It's the hottest part of the day, and this woman is going to get water at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because the women's work in the community would have been to get the water, but they would have all gone around dawn because it would be cooler and not as hot. So why is she going at the hottest part of the day? Well, and I'm not trying to be sexist, so don't judge me. If you have a problem with what I'm about to say, you can email paul at rivertown.cc. Um, a bunch of women standing around a well at dawn, what do you think is going to happen? Talking. And she's the talk of the town. Because she's had five husbands, and now the guy that she's with isn't even her husband. And so she is avoiding that time of day because she's ashamed of who she is, and she's going at the most inconvenient and difficult time of the day to get water because of her reputation and her past. And so partially she's going, Jesus, if you have this like never-ending water supply, hook me up with it. But also, if you have a way to keep me from living in the shame and the guilt and the regret that I've had to live with in this community, and you can offer me freedom, I want in on that. So how do I get it? Jesus goes, oh, if that's what you want, here's how you get it. Go get your husband. To which she's like, you see what had happened was, uh, yeah, I don't really got one of those. He's like, yeah, I know, you've had five and the guy that you're with now is not your husband. It's like, whoa. Jesus, like that was kind of like a harsh and kind of savage turn. Like we're talking about water. Now all of a sudden you're bringing up her past and you're bringing up her exes and you're bringing up her sin. Like why are you calling her out on her sin? I thought you were supposed to be like wearing big Birkenstocks and holding a baby lamb and being like, you know, I love you. You know, like God is love. Like I thought that's who you were. Like why are you calling this woman out on her sin? This seems so harsh. Church, I need you to hear me when I say this this morning. This is the most loving thing that Jesus can do for this woman. We often don't like to talk about sin because it makes us uncomfortable, but the reality of this moment is that Jesus is loving her in the best way possible by addressing her sin and the brokenness of her past. Let me give you two reasons why. Number one, you cannot experientially know or appreciate the grace of God until you get to a place that you realize how much you need it. You cannot know or experience or appreciate the grace of God until you get to a place where you realize, I am broken, I have messed up, I've tried to fix this out on my own, I've tried to figure out how to satisfy myself, and it is not working. I need someone who is greater and stronger than me, who can look at my sin and say, it's gone, it's gone, it's dead and gone, until I get to a place that I realize I'm broken by my sin. I cannot understand what it is that Jesus has done on the cross for me. So Jesus calling her out on her sin is not hateful or savage or rude or harsh. It's Jesus going, I love you. And in order for you to move forward, we have to deal with your past. That's number one. You cannot know or appreciate the grace of God until you realize how much you need it. The second is this. You cannot be fully loved until you're fully known. And the tragedy of some of our lives is that we're surrounded by people, but we are more lonely than we've ever been before. And the reason why is because you are surrounded by people who know you, but they don't really know you. And so they can't fully love you. And so there's a part of you that wonders if they ever found this out about me, would they still love me? Would they still want me? Would they still accept me? Would they still invite me? And so you keep part of yourself hidden in an effort to be loved, but you end up feeling alone because you can't be fully loved until you're fully known. And Jesus is sitting by this well with this woman and he brings up her past and her sin to simply say this, I know everything that there is to know about you and I love you anyway. I know everything that there is to know about you and I'm still sitting here at the well. So Jesus lovingly calls this woman out on her sin and the reason that he does it is because here's what he knows about this woman. She's been running to wells her whole life. 
See, this well and her past are more connected than we think. What Jesus realizes about this woman is that she's been running to the same well over and over and over again, hoping that it would satisfy her and it was falling short. And the well for her was the well of relationship. She'd been to one guy, it failed, next guy, it failed, next guy, it failed, next guy, it failed, next guy, it failed. My dad would always say this, if every room you walk into stinks, at some point you have to realize it ain't the room, bro, it's you. (laughs) And the problem with the relationships is that every relationship she went into, guess what she was bringing with her? Herself. And Jesus is going, you keep running to these wells thinking they can satisfy your soul and they cannot give you the satisfaction that they're looking for. These other men are not going to complete you. They cannot make you whole. They will not satisfy you. So stop running to those wells and come to me. So church, can I ask you a question this morning? What well are you running to? What well are you running to thinking that it will satisfy your soul and it keeps falling short? I wrote down a few questions to maybe help you identify. First question is this, is what do you find your identity in? Is it career? Is it finance? Is it your reputation? Whatever that is, it might be a well that you're running to. Second question is this, is what do you turn to when life gets hard? Is it a pill? Is it a bottle? Is it a friend? Whatever that is, you're looking to to satisfy you in some way. Third question is this, is if I just had blank, I would be happy. And however you fill in that blank shows you the thing that you're hoping will satisfy your soul. For some of you, the thing that you're running to for satisfaction is social media, and you get a like or a comment and it makes you feel better for a moment and then you keep going back to it thinking it will satisfy you and hopefully what you've realized is that the thing about social media is it's been designed in such a way that you have to keep coming back to have that endorphin hit. It's building your life in such a way that you will never be satisfied by it. So you have to keep coming back. For some of you, the well that you've run to is a well of substance and you drink the problems away on the weekend but the problem is The weekend ends and Monday comes and you know what you have when Monday comes? You have the same problems you had going into the weekend and a hangover to go with it. And so turning to the substance isn't satisfying. For some of you, it's career and you've worked your way up the ladder and you've made your way to the corner office and you're sitting in your desk and everyone thinks you have the life and then you realize something is still missing. I feel un satisfied. For others of you, it's relationship. It's the same thing that this woman ran to person after person after person think they can satisfy and they can't. For some of you, it's achievement. Whatever it is for you, there are places that you are running to thinking they can satisfy your soul and they can't. Let me just ask you a question real quick. And this is a super complicated, super complex question. Does anyone know what this is? A water bottle. Yes. Trick question. So hard, right? Let's say, hypothetically, I were to go for a run, which will literally never happen in my life. But let's just say that I did. (laughs) If I were to go for a run and at the end of the run I drank this, what would it do? It'd quench my thirst. It would satisfy me for a moment. But it would only be for a moment, right? Because at some point, again, I'm going to get thirsty, and guess what I'm going to need? Another one of these. This is a silly example, but just go with me. This is social media. This is the substance. This is the relationship, this is the career, this is the achievement, this is the well that you've been running to. And Jesus is going, how long are you going to settle for a water bottle type of life when I've come to offer you a waterfall type of life? How long are you gonna settle for things that will momentarily satisfy you when I've come to give you eternal satisfaction? 
How long are you going to settle for short-term things that can only satisfy for a moment when I've come to give you the thing that will sustain you through all of your life? So Jesus goes, come on, don't settle for Dasani. Put the water bottle down and come and stand under the waterfall and watch as I fill you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. The reality is, is I could stand under this waterfall for the rest of my life and the water is just going to keep going and going and going and going. Now, here's the thing. If this is what Jesus was offering, that would be amazing, but it's not. It's better than that. Amen. Jesus says, not come stand under the waterfall. He says, if you would come to me, I would put this inside of you. It would be like streams of living water bursting inside of you, leading to eternal life. I would fill you with my spirit and you would be so satisfied in me that the things of the world would seem like a joke to you. If you would just come to me, you could be so full and so satisfied and walk through life with such a joy that the people around you would be like, what's different about you? And you would go, because it's, it's, I'm not living with one of these. I'm living with this inside of me and everything has changed. And Jesus is going, don't settle for the water bottle when you can have the waterfall. I'm going to go quickly here. Oswald Chambers says this, the man or the woman who does not know God demands an infinite satisfaction from other human beings that they cannot give. And in that case, that man becomes tyrannical and cruel. It springs from this one thing, that the human heart must have satisfaction, but there is only one being who can ever satisfy the lasting abyss of the human heart, and that is Jesus Christ. Church, hear me. Temporary things will never lead to a lasting satisfaction. And if you keep running to the short-term things of this life, thinking they can satisfy your soul, they never will. Satisfaction comes from one place and one place alone. It comes from the source, and the source has a name. His name is Jesus. This water came from the waterfall. This temporary thing will not satisfy, but the source will satisfy. Ultimate satisfaction only comes from the source. And so if you're looking for hope, go to Jesus. He's the hope of eternity. If you're looking for belonging, go to Jesus. He invites you into a family of God. If you're looking for peace, go to Jesus. The scripture says we'll get a peace that passes all understanding. If you're looking for joy, go to Jesus, and you can have joy even in the middle of chaos. If you're looking for acceptance, go to Jesus, and he will call you a son or a daughter. If you're looking for a connection with God, go to Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through through me. If you are looking for life and life to the full, go to Jesus because his promise in John 10, 10 is that he will give you just that. Augustine says in this confession this, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find our until we can find our rest in you. Only Jesus can ultimately satisfy. And that's what that woman came to realize on that let me show you how the story ends and we'll be done. I'm already over time. Verse 27 says this. Just then, his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking to this woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you talking to her? They knew better than the question Jesus. Then leaving her water jar, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar. Why did she come to the well? Then leaving her water jar. Why did she come to the well? Then leaving her water jar. The woman went back into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. Could this be the Messiah? This woman goes to get water at the hottest part of the day. She has an encounter with Jesus. She leaves the bucket behind. She runs back into the city. Remember, she came here at the hottest part of the day because she did not want to be seen and she was ashamed. Now she's running back into the city going, hey, everyone look at me. You ain't gonna believe this. I met a guy to which you're like, no, not again, not again. <laughs> 
She's like, shut up, okay, shut up. I met a guy and he told me everything that I've ever done, to which some Karen in the back is like, everyone knows everything you've ever done. You've had five husbands and now you're with Bruno and we don't talk about Bruno. She's like, shut up, Karen, okay? I met a guy who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Get this. From ashamed to proclaim. From broken to whole. From nobody look at me to everyone look at what he's done in me. Something happened at that well. She leaves the water behind and she goes into the city fully satisfied. It's as if what Jesus said would happen, happened. That it's possible to be so satisfied in Jesus that the things of this world don't even seem to matter as much anymore. Friends, that's what's on the table for you and for me that if we will come to the source of satisfaction being Jesus, then we can be so satisfied that the things of this world don't even stand a chance. So two things for you to do on your way out, and we'll pray and wrap up. One, for some of you, the solution is not for you to try harder. If you notice in the story, this woman didn't do anything but show up at the well. The solution for you is just to spend some time with Jesus. It's just to get to know him. It's to have a conversation with him and let him speak truth into your life and fill you with his spirit, this living water that never runs dry. For others of you, you've had that encounter with God and you've been filled with his spirit and he's spoken to you and he's changed your life. But the problem is you had that encounter with Jesus and you know what you did? You sat at the well. And maybe the step for you is to do what this woman did at the end of the story and it's to leave the well and to go back into your city and go back into your family and go back into your careers and go back into your neighborhoods and go and tell people about the God who can fully and finally satisfy. Maybe for you the solution is to live on mission. I don't know which action step it is for you, but if you will do one of these two things this week, here's what I wholeheartedly believe, that you will find yourself fully and totally satisfied in him. Amen? Awesome. Jesus, we love you and we're grateful. Uh, thank you for um, this church and for an opportunity to gather today. Thank you for your grace uh, on us and thank you for the reality that we can be fully and finally and totally satisfied in you. Would you help us to experience that through the power of your spirit this week? We need you and we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great Labor Day weekend. Make sure on your way out you sign up to get in a group. You cannot do the Christian life alone, so get surrounded by some people who can walk with you and remind you to find your satisfaction in Jesus. We love you. We'll see you back next week.